You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. <laughs> It's Friday, November 4th, 2022 from Peachfish Productions. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. And an acquittal, an acquittal in the blockbuster trial of Tom Barrack. What, you've not heard of the blockbuster trial? I agree. For what could have been, should have been a big trial, this Trump associate who was charged with being an unregistered agent of the United Arab Emirates, it got very little coverage. I have a theory why. I was following testimony of the trial and it seemed like the case was really weak. Maybe the connection to Trump, who wasn't really even implicated in this, wasn't strong enough to generate attention, but Barack was acquitted after two days and from what I could glean, it's pretty easy to see why. First of all, Rex Tillerson, the former Secretary of State, testified supposedly against Barack. I mean, he was a prosecution witness, but all of Tillerson's testimony basically backed up Barack's contention that he did do business with the Middle East, but he wasn't an agent of them. Tillerson actually testifying that he never took any of Barrack's advice. Barrack's a financier. He ran an investment firm. They did get $375 million from the Emiratis, and he was in charge of Trump's inauguration. But beyond that, the, gonna say it, quid pro quo, or him using administration ties to curry favor with the Emiratis, or using the Emiratis' foreign policy preferences, taking that back to the Trump administration and getting anything done, that doesn't seem, not only was it not proved, it doesn't seem like it was what was going on. Barrack testified for three days he did, which is unusual. He seemed to do a good job for himself and even said, if anything, his relationship with Donald Trump, because Trump was so divisive, hurt him. He said that there was a death march away from his fund due to his mere association with Donald Trump. And he was getting in good with the Emiratis. A Sheik Tanun, who he was courting with gifts and a supposed shared interest in mixed martial arts, guys like him were turned off by Trump. He spent most of his time just saying, Donald's not a bad guy once you get to know him, and then pivoting to, would you like to meet Rob Lowe? Yeah, Rob Lowe came up in trial. Here's what Barrack testified to. I know it's hard to believe, but Rob is more handsome, more charming, more interesting than I, and in the Arab world, he was a big deal. So I thought this might be interesting for Sheikh Tanun to meet with him, and Rob was definitely not a Trump fan, so it kind of balanced things out. What might this quick acquittal mean in terms of future prosecutions? I don't think much, but maybe federal prosecutors should take away one key fact from this investigation. Well, the case overall was called U.S. v. Al-Malik Ashahi, and Ashahi was also charged with being a foreign agent who never registered. But that guy fled America in 2018, and they can't find him. But there was a point of contention about Al-Malik's use of the phrase, the big man. Mr. Barrack's lawyers said, 
the big man referred to himself, al-Malik, whereas prosecutors contended it was a reference to a top Emirati security official. Who knows? Well, the prosecutors lost. So when you look at Hunter Biden and a case that at least in part, seems to center around, was the big guy a reference to the big guy? Did that mean Joe Biden? Well, in a parallel case, ambiguous references to big men or big guys were settled on behalf of the defense. On the show today, remember when tech was riding high and we hated it? Now that tech has been laid low, we're good, we've recalibrated, no, we still hate it. But first, Rick Sanchez was an MSNBC and CNN anchor for over a decade, 30 years total on the air. And as a member of the media and a Latino covering the Latino vote for years and years, he has a problem with our entire conception of the voting block. Now, you've heard me question the very idea of the Latino vote. So now, in this next interview, I do it directly with Rick, who says Latinos are taken for granted, misunderstood, and lumped in with a lot of other people of color, a term he finds less than illuminating. Rick Sanchez, up next. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com in 2020, the Democratic advantage among Hispanic voters declined by 16 points relative to 2016. On the eve of the 2022 election, that advantage is set to decline substantially once again. That is the first line of an analysis by the excellent election experts, Rui Teixeira. He once wrote a book about the coming Democratic majority. The premise was the browning of America would be good for Democrats. It's been less good than was assumed. And the quote unquote Hispanic or Latino vote has a lot to say about that. Joining me now is Rick Sanchez, who spent more than 30 years at CNN, NBC and Fox News, his new media company is called Agua Media. I'm monolingual. I know what that means. And Rick is has been looking at and tracking and reporting on and a part of the Latino vote for his whole career. He knows how our analysis of it has changed too. Rick, welcome to The Gist. Uh, it's great to be with you, Mike. Thanks. So when I say the Latino vote, it means something in 2022 that's, I think, very different from what it meant maybe early in your career. Do you feel that? Of course. Yeah. Things have changed an awful lot. And even uh, to give the devil his due, uh, Donald Trump had uh, a major effect on that. In fact, more Latinos voted for him after seeing his tenure in office than voted for him on the come, as they say. What explains that? Well, and I think a lot of that is, uh, to be uh, honest, the Republicans are better at messaging and they're better at spending their money wisely. They've captured big data. They know how to use big data. Uh, they know how to target uh, Latino voters. Uh, and uh, maybe the biggest problem of all is Democrats are just generally not very smart 
when it comes to being able to target people with the appropriate message. Part of being able to target someone, as you know, if you've probably had your hand in advertising a few times in your life, is to find out, first of all, who they are. That way you can determine what they need, and then you can give them what they want. Democrats have no idea who Hispanics are in the United States. None whatsoever. They don't know who we are. They don't know our numbers. They don't know how to talk to us. They underrepresent us. They take us for granted. So yeah, you still have 60 to 70% of Latinos in the United States who vote Democrat, but it's not because the Democrats have earned it. I think it's just kind of historics. Even with perfect messaging, which granted the Democrats don't have, isn't it true? And this is showing up in survey data and it's showing up in written pieces by people like uh, Rui Teixeira. And I, I also read Matt Glacius on this, who is the son of a uh, Cuban, a Cuban immigrant, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just the message. If you look at what Latinos want out of America, out of their political parties, After a generation or so, it becomes, when normed for things like education, it becomes almost indistinguishable from what every other American of that particular socioeconomic group wants. And I think to market to Latinos, which is important, as if they were distinct, is less and less uh, an accurate way to think about this demographic than it's ever been. What do you think about that? I think that's generally true. In fact, I think it's so much so that what we're going to see during the midterms is Latinos essentially inching toward key issues that are also the key issues for non-Latinos. Number one, economy. Number two, crime. So the latest statistics and polling that I've seen on how what Latinos care about mimics what uh, non-Latinos care about. It's economics, and then it's uh, crime. And, you know, while many people thought, for example, that abortion was going to be a lift for uh, Democrats, for Latinos, it's like number five or number six. So it's not skewing uh, the way they thought it would skew. And and that is, in essence, uh, I think, showing that if, if things continue the way they do, and I tend to believe issues related polls. I think they have more merit for me because as far as the other, the rest of the polls, it's just a snapshot of what's going on in any given day. And it can change from day to day with people's attitudes and who knows, right. as we've learned in the past. But when you start seeing most of the people are voting because of this, as you say, uh, Latinos do, then uh, then I think that that starts to show that if I had if I were a betting man right now, I would say the numbers are going to skew toward Republicans heavy in the midterms, and they probably will walk away with both houses. Here are a couple polls. Uh, well, first of all, I'll give you a poll that's not about issues, but about people. This is an NPR Maris poll. Latinos prefer Republicans over Democrats by 20 points. And how about this one? Hispanics gave Donald Trump a higher favorability rating than Joe Biden, 37% for Biden, then 41% for Trump. I will collect my jaw off the floor as I read you these issues, though. That same poll shows that Hispanics prefer the Republicans over the, over the Democrats on the issue of inflation by 17 points, and 62% of Latinos disapprove of Biden's handling of the economy, 31% approve. That's in a Quinnipiac poll. Mm-hmm. So tell me, though, how this is a messaging problem. It's just, to me, a problem of Latinos behaving and thinking and having the same attitudes that America as a whole has. I think Demo- I, I think it is. I, I mean, I do think it's a, it's a messaging problem. And I, and I go back to 
just saying that Democrats don't even know how to message when you put the message in their hand, when you sit it on their lap and then you say, here you go, here's your prize, here's your gift. All you got to do is now deliver it. They stumble on the way to the person they're going to deliver it to. I mean, it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not here to be partisan. And you know what? Uh, I understand that there are merits to both parties and both messages. But you could easily, if you were a Democrat, make a story that the only reason we're going through inflation right now is because the Fed is having to undo what Donald Trump did when he was president. You don't even have to be a human calculator to know that the problems we're having with inflation today were actually caused by the previous administration. And by the way, that's usually the way that happens. Mm -hmm. Democrats don't even know how to explain that. Instead, they're talking about how they're going to get us out of this problem, which the voting populace, including Latinos, perceives they created because Mm -hmm. they're too dumb to know how to message properly to let people know that they're part of the fix, not part of the problem. Is there a specific uh, pro-Latino or appealing to Latino message on inflation, for instance? Is there a way to craft that message that you point out that Democrats have bungled Uh, specifically to this audience? Well, I think uh, if I were a Democrat or if I was a Democratic strategist and I had a candidate who had to go into the Latino community, the first thing I would say is historically, Democrats have been able to get the U.S. economy out of the turlet, as they say. And uh, they did it with uh, Bill Clinton and they did it with uh, Barack Obama and historically Republicans haven't. So let me show you with a graph or whatever what the history is. And now let me tell you again the same thing you would say to even non-Latinos. You could make the argument that the reason we're in inflationary times and we could be heading into a recession is because of the mistakes that took place during the previous administration. And let me tell you how they are. When the president of the United States convinced the Fed chair to lower interest rates to negative levels, he was essentially opening the door to the future problems we're having now. That would be the message I would give Latinos. It's Mm -hmm. perfectly understandable. Instead, Democrats come up with all these silly, you know, arguments and 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 they don't understand that Latinos in particular are economically smart and they understand how business works and they're looking for those kinds of answers. And instead, they're being placated. They're being placated. And that, that that's part of that's a big part of the problem. Do you think the Democratic message to Latinos leans too much or assumes too readily that they will identify first as their ethnicity and perceive insults or harms to them as an ethnic group, whereas in reality, it doesn't always work like that? No, it, you're absolutely right. Uh, Latinos could give a crap about all the people who say horrible things about them. I mean, they really could. We, we, je- as a people, we as Latinos just kind of move on to the next thing. You fire. Yeah, it does. So to interrupt it, I would agree. I think that the Democrats' message is something like, "You need to be offended. This is horrible. This is racist." Yeah. And I think a lot of educated white liberals in the Democratic caucus actually feel that. And they say, my God, I am offended and this will affect my vote. Whereas the actual objects of the offense, for instance, the Latinos who are called or um, assumed to be rapists, they say, well, what are the practical issues that might affect my life? You're absolutely right. And here's why you're right. In most of these cases, sure, if somebody says something offensive, like Trump did when he came down that famous escalator ride, 
or or when Carrie Lake is going around now, and she's going to be elected by saying this stuff, interestingly enough. I mean, it, of course, it pisses Latinos off. It should. Anybody with a hide would, would, would be insulted by some of this stuff. So it's not about the pointing out what they said. Any idiot could do that. It's about then offering an alternative that is more reasonable and tells me you understand me. Because if all you want to do, Mike, is pat me on the head and tell me, I got your back, poor guy, I'm going to defend you, get out of here. I don't need that. No, we don't need to be placated. We don't need to be felt sorry for. We don't need somebody coming along and telling us that, you know, they're, they're the ones who are, who, who, who are going to uh, engender themselves to us so that then we can tie ourselves to them because we somehow can't make it without them. You know, go to hell. We That is not an argument that is going to sell to Latinos because Latinos have proven over and over in this country, uh, whether it's being more apt to fight in wars, whether it's being the biggest po- cohort in the Marines at this point in the United States, whether it's hiring more people, starting more small businesses, et cetera, down the line, down the line, down the line, that uh, they are very self-sufficient and they don't need somebody to feel sorry for them. In fact, like you say, feel sorry for me and I'll like you less. Yeah. So I remember 20 years ago watching you on MSNBC and probably 15 years ago on CNN. And I don't know if you've said it, but it seems like there is a rule that whenever anyone in the media is asked to analyze the Latino vote or the what the Hispanic community might be doing, you have to say, well, they're not a monolith. As if anyone's a monolith. But this seems like derogor that you have to say it. Okay, I understand why. Cubans totally vote differently than Puerto Ricans. Mm-hmm. However, it's gotten to the point where it's not just the saying of it, but there are so many exceptions to the rule of Latinos being a voting block. I wonder how practical you think it is to even keep up the idea that that there is a voting block, that there yeah. is a rule around the quote unquote Latino vote. I did a whole podcast on that where I, I basically told people where they can stick it for continuing to define us. Latinos as a uh, as mono, as not monolithic. They're not monolithic. Mm-hmm. They're not monolithic. Well, who the hell right. is right? Right. I, mean, I know. To, to your point, I mean, I tell you what, we're 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 more monolithic than most Americans are. I guarantee you that we, most Latinos tend to be of one type of religion. Most Latinos tend to speak one language. Most Latinos tend to. Uh, even up to now, even though we see it's changing, they still vote 60, 70 percent Democrat that you can't say that about Americans who aren't Latinos. No. Uh, so so there is an, a, an actual monolithic nature to Latinos in, in general. The, the idea that people want to somehow separate us with their words like this whole thing with Latinx. You know, what the hell is Latinx? Why why would someone come and tell me that I have to change how I refer to myself? And my mother is no longer valuable because she's an important Latina who brought me to this country. And you're insulting her by saying she's now a Latinx. What the hell is an X? Is everybody got to be an X now, too? Are the Romanians going to be Xs? Are the Italians going to be? Do you have to say Italian X, too? I mean, come on. And and who is that? Again, that that's outsiders defining who we are. Define less in broad measures, and talk about who Latinos are. And just say uh, he is a um, Colombian-American in his mid-30s who's male. She is a, uh, you know, Venezuelan-American in her 40s. Now I understand that person. What is this people of color crap? Mm -hmm. What is this Latinx crap? What is this brown stuff? Since when do we define people by their color? I thought that stopped back in the, you know, 50s and 60s in this country. And yet 
When I tell you it's hard to get Latinos to vote for Democrats these days, that's the very reason why we don't vote for Democrats. They're the ones coming up with these stupid, silly terms. So do you mean that specifically? Do people say, well, I'm not going to vote for someone who came up with the term, or is it more of a piece with the kind of mindset that would develop the term also has a mindset that doesn't understand this audience? A little of both. Plus, Republicans are smart enough to see that if they're smart, at least the ones who know how to message and say, these are the people who want to call you Latinx. These are the people who want to call you brown. These are the people who are doing this stuff. It's not, I mean, you know, Hannity may not be the smartest guy in the world, but he's not saying those things. You know, uh, Rachel Maddow is. So, Mm -hmm. you know, for a Latino, it's like, how do I agree with this stuff? They're kind of not describing me the way I am. I'm not sure they understand me. And generally speaking, Rachel Maddow does understand the African-American community with all its historics and all its sensibilities. She understands the Jewish-American community, deservedly so. I'm glad. Good. I mean, I'm not busted anybody here for all its sensibilities and all its historics. They understand the, the the rise of gay Americans in this country with all its historics and all its sensibilities. Which, But if you ask Rachel Meadow, I could ask her five questions about who Latinos are in the United States. She wouldn't probably get one of them right. What does that tell you? Yeah. So I don't know if you read this column by Matt Inglesias, who I said it wrong. It's not his father, but his grandfather came to this country as a Cuban-American leftist who uh, left in advance of the uh, Cuban revolution. And he pointed out that there is an assumption, I think, among Democrats that Latinos and African-Americans, though there are differences, their votes, which used to be nearly monolithically Democratic, their yeah. votes are work in very similar ways. These are oppressed communities who the Republicans insult and ha- harbor racist feelings against. And so they're naturally going to be inclined to Democrats who will at least do outreach to them. And Matt does a really good job in pointing out the huge differences, like the role of black churches and just reinforcing, if you know nothing else, vote for the Democrat. Something like that isn't really going on with most Roman Catholic churches that Latinos go to. But that's the general question, because you mentioned Rachel Maddow and how she does know how to speak to the black community. Is there often just a mindset of, well, we know how to speak to the black community. We know how to speak to, therefore, people of color or minorities will speak to the Latino community in very similar ways. What you just said encapsulates pretty much what the problem is with outreach or understanding of Latinos. Somewhere along the line, and if you guys are bored and you want to check out my podcast called Rick Sanchez News here on Agua Media, um, I've done countless podcasts on this very thing that you just said. And that, that, that grouping where I don't need to know who Latinos are because I already know who Blacks are. And if you understand Blacks, you understand Latinos. So we'll just take Latinos and we'll put them in this pie and we'll call it people of color. While we're at it, let's throw the Asians in there too. And let's throw the Indian Americans in there too. Now we don't have to know anything about Indian Americans or Latinos or really Asian Americans. We just have to know about blacks. And if you get your degree in blackdom, then you've got all the rest of them nailed. And nothing, with all due respect to all my African-American brothers who I believe and fight for and fight with, you know, one cause does not an understanding of all causes make. What do you think will change the dynamic? Electoral losses? I think so. Yeah, I think I think the Democrats are going to have to lick their chops and and, and take a look at uh, what they've done 
and see in places like South Florida, where Latinos will essentially vote in bigger numbers now toward Republicans because they feel like at least uh, at least Republicans understand and vocalize what they represent. Now, it may not be vocalizing what somebody in East L.A. represents, but Republicans come in and they tell the uh, the, the Latinos in South Florida, I like you because you believe in um, in capitalism. And we're the party of free markets. I like you because you hate authoritarian governments like the ones in communist Cuba, et cetera. And I, we like you because you're like us. See, they're, they're directly relating to Latino attributes and Latino issues. Whereas, as we just said in our conversation, you and I, Democrats use these overarching things that think will fit because, well, it worked for blacks, so it's going to work for Latinos. Not so fast. Rick Sanchez has 30 years at CNN, NBC, Fox as a managing editor, host, national correspondent. His new podcast is The Rick Sanchez Podcast. That comes from his new company, Agua Media. Rick, thanks so much. You are fun to talk to, man. Let's do it again. This is really fun. And, you, you, and you're smart. You're smart. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Rick. God bless. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lips now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com you're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N ads.com. And now the spiel. The economy's not doing great, which is bad for almost all of us. That's true. But when the economy was doing well, it did also mean that big business was doing well, which makes sense because big business is the bulk of the economy. But that pissed us off also. We'd like a strong economy, but kind of weak big business or medium business. Also, today the stock market went up, but this whole week it was losses every day until today. Now, for some of us who invest directly or indirectly, say in an IRA, we like it when our investments do well. But when Wall Street gets richer, eh, we get kind of infuriated. And tech, what about the tech industry? It's a big part of big business. And they were riding high a year ago. That annoyed us, didn't it? As we watched YouTube on our Apple phones and worried that even with Prime membership, our new hat wouldn't come in time for the Instagram photo shoot. We took time out, though, to fret over the dominance of Google, Apple, Amazon, and Facebook. I know Scott Galloway certainly did on a actually killer appearance last March on the Bill Maher show, he really made the case that tech companies have come to dominate. We've seen billionaires go from 1.9 trillion in wealth to 4 trillion. The dirty secret of this pandemic is that the top 10%, much less the top 1%, are living their best lives. If you're in the sit on your ass, look at a screen business, <laughs> yes, Amazon, yes. Apple, Google, Facebook, right? They made, they're now worth 21% of the whole economy. They're, 
we used to, we talk about the S&P 500. It's the S&P 7. There's now seven companies that have 51% of the market cap. Amazon, since March, has added more market capitalization than all of European retail. We have effectively four companies that are so dominant. There's more. We've been overrun. It was a tour de force talk show appearance. Watch the whole thing, I say. Scott wasn't wrong. His numbers were right, and he was tapping into a populist sentiment that even contrarian Bill Maher was on board with. Cut to today, and except for Apple, all of those companies have been laid low. That show aired in March of 2021. Since then, Amazon's market cap has come down by 47%. Google, or Alphabet, that's the parent company, 15%. And Facebook, aka Meta, has dropped by 70%. So now, after all that, after they got their comeuppance, we're happy, right? I mean, if the ascent of these firms caused us agita, their decline must give us solace. No, we're still aggrieved. Now, business news is all about these tech companies, not just the FANG companies we found so poisonous, but all of them catering FANG, the kind of old acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. I don't even mention Netflix anymore. What's Netflix? Now, I could point out also that Microsoft never gets lumped in with any of these tech baddies, I guess because they have no consumer products that occupy our thoughts. They're just a cloud, which seems like a meteorological phenomenon and not a product. I could also note that Exxon has doubled its stock price and therefore eaten into the market share that was decried by Galloway on that Bill Maher appearance. So, yay! That's a corrective to Apple and Amazon's dominance. So what I'm getting at is not that we were wrong to criticize the tech companies. A lot of the criticism is totally apt. But I do think there is a problem when every development and its opposite makes us aggrieved. And also, so does the status quo. These tech companies, like I said, not without blame, but it seems like our relationship with our tools and our media should be scrutinized at least as much as the inherent deficiencies of the tools and the media themselves. One perspective is that Scott Galloway, he was just talking at a time of a near market top and then there was a correction. So what goes around comes around, it all evens out. You know, we shouldn't have worried so much and now that things have corrected, we shouldn't be worried now. Now, I don't think the problem was Galloway was wrong though. There's a reason for concern with the concentration of power in the new behemoth's hands. And you could say now that they've been laid low, in Bezos' case, a bit lower, in Zuckerberg's case, laid low, all we need to do is have perspective. But I think it's a more fundamental problem than that. Again, something has gone wrong where every bit of stimulus causes despair, then the stimulus is removed or reversed, and the response is, more despair. The despair seems to me to be largely unconnected to the stimulus. This is where I recommend something like meditation or unplugging, stoicism, time with family, reading the classics, something like that. I do about one and a half of those things. They help. But I have no solution. I'm not here for solutions. I just say before you get the diagnosis, you need to record the data. There it is. There's some of it is. One point of datum. Take solace. Since Galloway laid out his bill of particulars, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, and Mark Zuckerberg have lost a collective $200 billion. Now you can pass Mark Zuckerberg on the billionaires list 
by merely adding $34 billion to your net worth, provided, of course, you start with a little over $600 million, in which case, do not blow it on virtual reality that doesn't feature legs. And that's it for today's show. Corey War is the GIST's assistant producer. Joel Patterson is the GIST senior producer. Michelle Pesca is the COO of Peachfish Productions. The GIST is produced in collaboration with AdvertiseCast. And what a collaboration it's been and continues to be. You know, I riff on all the names, Corey Wara, like the virtual reality guys. We don't know if he has legs, but AdvertiseCast. You know what I say? I say for all your advertising inquiries, go to AdvertiseCast.com slash The Gist. Oomperu, Jeeperu, Dooperu, and thanks for listening. It's interesting what stuff they focused on getting right. Like every single shirt and fleece that I had in that movie is actually a shirt or fleece that I own. Um, <laughs> but, um,